Chapter One of the Great Pearl Secret. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Great Pearl Secret by Charles Norris Williamson. Chapter One In Juliet's Sitting Room. A maid opened the door leading from a bedroom to a salon of the royal suite at Harridge's Hotel. Dusk had fallen, and entering, she switched on the electricity. The room, with its almost Louis C's decorations, was suddenly flooded with light, and to her surprise the Frenchwoman saw a slim black figure nestled deep among cushions on a sofa before the fire. A small white face with a frame of terracotta hair crushed under a morning taupe turned a pair of big black eyes upon her. "'Milady Vest!' exclaimed the maid. "'Pardon, madame, I did not know that anyone was here.' She spoke in French, with an accent which told that her first language had been Italian, learned in the south of France, though in looks she was the chic Parisienne. Her English was quite good, but when she used that tongue her accent was of New York. She preferred French, however, was proud of being French, and had Frenchified her Niçois Italian name of Simonetta Amorati to Simone Amaranth. All Juliet Fair's friends had to be polite to Simone. Mr. Fair's man let me in, said the red-haired lady in widow's weeds. After I'd had a look at the wedding presents, I was so dazzled that I switched off the lights. She laughed and then cried, Leave the lights now. I suppose Mademoiselle won't be forever? Simone shrugged her thin shoulders just perceptibly. Mademoiselle sent me out on an errand, milady. I have not long returned with the perfume she wanted. It was for the coiffeur who was here to wash the hair of Mademoiselle. She would not have the stuff he brought, so the man was obliged to wait. I am afraid the drying, even with the hot air machine, will take some time. Milady knows what a quantity of hairs there are on the pretty head of Mademoiselle and how she is exacting of the way everything is done. The red-haired lady guessed from the Frenchwoman's tone that Simone considered the introduction of a coiffure a slight to her own skill. Why, yes, she agreed, Mademoiselle is exacting. But what would you? She is a spoiled child, the least crumple in a rose-leaf. By the way, Simone, she stopped for a little throaty chuckle, is it true about the carpet in the suite? The carpet, milady? Simone flushed faintly through her dark skin, and milady made a second guess. Of course Juliet trusted Simone, and depended upon her blindly. But she, Emmy West, had often wondered how certain spicy little items concerning the Fair family reached the gossip columns of society papers. I read such an amusing paragraph in Modern Ways this morning, she explained. It was apropos of the wedding, of course. Modern Ways loves a chance for a dig at us Americans who marry well-known Englishmen. It said that when Miss Juliet Fair and her Uncle Henry came over from Paris the other day, and took this royal suite which Mr. Fair had engaged, Miss Fair sent for the manager before she'd been in the hotel half an hour. There's a spot of ink on the carpet, she complained, according to the paper. I must have another carpet at once. Now do tell me, Simone, I'm very discreet, did that really happen? It did, madame, the maid admitted, though how it got to those sacred journalists. And did the manager say to mademoiselle, 
we have half the kings of europe in this suite since that spot appeared miss fair and not one of them mentioned it his words were to that effect my lady so far as i remember but oh then you were in the room what fun you can tell me if juliet if mademoiselle replied that a spotted carpet might be good enough for a king but it wasn't good enough for a fair simone flung out her hands palm upward they were beautifully manicured hands as carefully tended as her mistress's and as she smiled her teeth showed very white when her face was grave she looked somewhat sullen and might be thirty-five but the smile was rejuvenating it put her back to twenty-eight and made her almost handsome as well as chic milady has known mademoiselle since her school days is it not she hedged milady will be able to judge as well as if i told her whether mademoiselle would have made that answer i thought it rang true when i read it laughed lady west but simone when you say i have known mademoiselle since her school days you make me sound awfully antique we were at madame de seine's together i came over to england the year i left and married poor sir algy only three months after i was presented she thought it best to hammer these details into simone's head in case the woman really was in touch with those back-door kitchen-stairs reporters then to give an air of carelessness to her words she turned the subject perhaps you might let mademoiselle know i've come parker told me that she was lying down that she'd promised her uncle to rest till tea-time so i won't have her disturbed but if her hair is being washed she might let me in i will ask milady said simone i come to the salon to see if the curtains were drawn if madame permits she tripped with her short high-heeled step first to one window then the other and closed the draperies of old rose brocade having done this she pattered out of the room emmy west's eyes followed the thin but graceful figure in black silk simone is a character she thought and she wondered what the maid's secret opinion was of this marriage which would take place the next day the richest american heiress with the poorest british duke left alone again emmy wriggled up from her nest of cushions and beguiled the time in examining the wedding gifts once more this did not take long as the marriage had been suddenly hurried on by special license and friends of juliet fair and the duke of claremenagh had had only a few days to send in their offerings emmy had made this uninvited visit with the object of admiring a certain one of juliet's presence but she had already informed herself that it was not on show with the rest unless the bride-elect refused to see her she did not intend to leave harridge's without a glimpse or anyhow news of it when she had wandered languidly round the three or four tables on which jewel cases gold silver china and tortoise-shell things were spread she propped her own black-edged card conspicuously in front of a severus framed mirror and bent down for a hasty peep at her face in its oval she wondered if her hair were a tiny touch too red she liked it herself and thought the heart-shaped white face with its wide-apart black eyes set in that copper halo a siren face in the weeds of a war widow it seemed to her that she was almost irresistible but she could not help realizing that there were people who did resist her the duke was one and an attractive cousin of juliet's john manners was another she was vaguely aware that her own taste was decidedly vivid perhaps the hair was rather red she had had it bobbed since juliet came to london because it worried her that juliet should look years younger than she no one would take lady west for twenty-seven but she had been an old girl and juliet a new girl the year they had met in school 
Juliet was twenty-three now, and she, Emmy, had gone back to twenty-five. One had to be that if one had married before the war. Quickly she dusted on a little powder from her vanity box, and accentuated the cupid's bow of her lips with a stick of red salve, for it was possible that Claremanagh might breeze in. It would be like him. This thought was still on her mind when a door behind her opened. She turned nervously, tucking the lip salve into her gold mesh bag, for just now the Duke was having a craze for baby complexions without makeup. But it was not the Duke. It was a girl standing in the doorway between bedroom and salon. Hello, Emmy, she said. Hello, Juliet, said Emmy. And suddenly she felt years older than she had felt a moment ago. Juliet Fair was such a big baby. The girl wore a pale pink chiffon thing which she probably considered a dressing gown. It was embroidered with wild roses and banded with swans down, and no practical person would have dreamed of keeping it on for a shampoo. Juliet, however, thought herself sufficiently protected with a towel over her shoulders, a silvery damask towel under which her bare girlish arms hung down. Over the towel streamed masses of hair in long wet strands, which must be bright golden brown when dry. These fell, weighted with water, nearly to her knees, and from their curly ends drops poured like unstrung pearls. She was so tall and slender, and brilliant rose and white, that she would have looked to a poet like Undine just out of her fountain. "'You extravagant thing,' Lady West scolded, "'to spoil a lovely boudoir gown like that. "'Simone gets it tomorrow as a perquisite, "'with all my old things,' Juliet dismissed the subject. "'She said you'd been here at age, "'so I thought I'd better come in. "'I'll dry my hair before the fire. "'Presently we'll have tea.' "'So saying, she sat down tailor-fashion "'on a long, fat, velvet cushion "'which lay in front of the low fender. "'Evidently you're not expecting the Duke.' laughed Lady West. No, said the girl, but I'm expecting a letter from him, or something. You haven't got the pearls on show with your other presents, I see, remarked her friend. I don't blame you. Of course, Parker is doing the watchdog act outside, and only your bestest pals come up. Still, the pearls are frightfully valuable, and you can never tell. But do, do let me see them. I'm dying to. I haven't got them yet, Juliet confessed. "'Not got them?' gasped the elder woman. "'You're joking! Why?' and she laughed with great gaiety. "'One marries Claremanagh for his pearls.' "'Does one?' Juliet took her up. "'I know whole populations of females who'd give their pearls to marry him. For himself!' This told Emmy West that the bride-to-be knew she had been scratched, and was ready to scratch back. For an instant Emmy hesitated whether to be sweet or sharp, and decided to compromise. "'By Jove, you are in love, aren't you?' she said. "'I am,' Juliet admitted. "'I don't care a rap about being a duchess. Uh, "'That sort of thing seems somehow old-fashioned since the war. "'And I don't think I ever was a snob, thank goodness.' "'Emmy wondered if this was another dig. "'She had been a Chicago girl, and only a tuppence haypenny heiress, "'compared to Juliet Fair.' but she had wanted a title, and had paid all she could afford for a mere baronet, such as her few hundred thousand dollars would buy. On the sofa, once more facing her low-seated hostess, she looked Juliet full in the eyes, but Juliet's were innocent, even dreamy. "'I'd have snapped at my boy if he'd been just a Tommy when I met him over there, instead of a perfectly gorgeous guardsman,' the girl went on. "'But, of course, I do want the pearls. I wouldn't be human if I didn't. Everyone talks about them so much, even my cousin Jack Manners. 
and says they're so marvellous. I expect they are what Pat is sending round this evening. Sending round, repeated the other. You talk as if, as if they were a box of chocolates. Claremanagh is the carelessest creature on earth, I know, and he has been, um, very careless with the pearls. But I don't think even he would be so bad as that. Why not? asked the girl to whom most jewels meant little. If he sent them by old Nick, that dear quaint man of his, they'd be safer than if he brought them himself. I never knew before that he was superstitious, but he is. It's bad luck for a Claremont to see his bride the day before the wedding. Creepy things have happened, it seems, according to an old story, and he said he wasn't running risks. For some reason he couldn't give me his present before today, so that's why the thing is to come by messenger, you see. I see, echoed Emmy. And you're sure the present will be the pearls? This was rather an impudent question to ask, especially for one who knew the Duke's circumstances. But, for a wonder, Juliet did not seem to mind. She answered quite easily, Oh, I suppose so. Don't the Claremont men always give them to their brides? I believe they have dutifully handed them over so far, for several generations, since the pearls came into their family in that exciting way, said Lady West. But you know, Peter, I mean Claremont, is very independent and quite, uh, a law unto himself. Why do you call him Peter? The girl branched off from the subject. He has about a dozen names, I know, but I hadn't heard that Peter was one. My selection from the lot is Pat. Oh, Peter was only a silly nickname I made up for him. Peter Pan, because he just isn't the sort who ever grows up, Emmy explained elaborately. Of course, he was a lot with algae in me the first year I married, before the war spoiled everything for everyone. And then, when I took up Red Cross work in France, after poor algae, I know, Juliet ruthlessly interrupted, that was where and when I came on the scene. It was, agreed Emmy in a flat voice. You came, you saw, you conquered. But we were talking of the Tsarina pearls. I do hope the Duke is delivering the goods, as we say in our country. I don't mind confessing to you, my angel child, I dropped in, hoping for a private view. Oh, I guess that the minute Simone told me you were here, and determined to wait. Juliet laughed like a naughty child who dares a grown-up to slap it. Emmy's ears tingled. The girl's tone, though intimate and friendly, told her how unimportant she was in the future Duchess's scheme of things. She had always envied Juliet, and had an old grudge against the heiress for refusing her brother, Bill Lundas. Now she suddenly hated her. Instead of inflicting a kittenish scratch or two, she wanted to strike at Juliet Fair's heart. Well, she excused herself, I never saw the pearls, except, er, uh, at a distance. You have seen them, then? Juliet exclaimed. How was that? Pat's mother died years before you knew him, and only the Duchess is supposed to wear the pearls, isn't she? Only the Duchess is supposed to wear them. Juliet sat up straight on the velvet cushion. Her hair was drying beautifully now. The red background of fire-glow lit it to flame, so that Lady West saw the slight figure surrounded by a nimbus. "'Ever since Pat and I were engaged, you've been hinting at something queer or secret about that rope of pearls, Emmy,' the girl blazed. "'Now out with it, please. Tell me what you mean.' The elder woman was taken aback. "'Don't you know what I mean?' she temporized. "'No, I don't,' snapped Juliet. "'But I'm sure it's something unpleasant. At least I had no intention of telling you.' Lady West snapped back. I wouldn't distress you for worlds, dear, especially on your wedding eve. Wedding eve be jizzled, 
inelegantly remarked the bride-elect. "'You sound quite early Edwardian. If you don't tell me, I shall think the thing worse than it is.' "'You had better ask Claremanagh, or Jack Manners, who is a pal of his,' said Emmy. "'I can't, till I have an idea what to ask them about. Ask whether Lydia Pavoya ever—no, I won't say it. Whether she ever wore the pearls? That's what you were going to say.' so you did know i didn't and i don't now i only know what you have in your mind i don't believe she was allowed to wear the pearls why should you believe it and even if she did it was before you knew peter the duke and anyhow it was before you were engaged it was when she was dancing for the polish relief fund in paris that i saw you saw what saw her emmy you didn't see her wearing the tsarina pearls it's not possible why of course you must be right dear even though they are blue they'd be like any other pearls wouldn't they to see at a distance that's just what you said about pat's pearls five minutes ago that you'd seen them only at a distance lady west did not reply she put on a stricken trapped expression which went well with her widow's weeds the two gazed into each other's eyes each waiting for the other to speak Neither heard a sound at the door until a respectable voice, such a voice as is never possessed save by a British butler or valet, announced, His Grace, the Duke of Clermont. End of chapter 1. Recording by Todd.